Digital Marketing Radio, episode 148, SEO in the year 2020. DigitalMarketingRadio.com I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain I'm joined today by a man who, for over 10 years, has been one of the most consistent leaders in the field of organic search marketing. He's the author of two books and also the co-founder of Inbound.org. Welcome to DMR, the Wizard of Moz, Mr. Rand Fishkin. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Great stuff. Um, Well, of course, you can find Rand over at moz.com. So, Rand, will we be calling it SEO in the year 2020? Yeah, probably. Uh, 2020 is, you know, I was thinking about it. It's only four years away. If I think about what SEO was in 2012 versus 2016, uh, yeah, there's a lot more opportunities and there's been some tactical changes, a few things that don't work, a few things that started working well. But honestly, this is not a practice that has changed dramatically. At least the fundamentals haven't changed dramatically in the last four years. And I don't think we're going to see them change that dramatically in the next four. I think that uh, search has reached a more maturing stage. You know, you could argue that there's going to be growth in voice search. Um, there's certainly going to be a lot of a lot of the volume growth in search worldwide is going to come from uh, developing countries rather than the developed world. Um, you know, we're going to continue to see mobile be a big trend. Uh, I suspect the engines, Google primarily, uh, we're, are going to continue to uh, make some technological advances in how they understand queries and how they return quality results and those kinds of things. But we're we're at a maturing stage. You know, this is not 2005 or 2006 anymore. So I think we can more effectively predict uh, at least three or four years out with some certainty, barring the, you know, fundamental uh, paradigm change, right? Maybe maybe VR means that we strap on helmets and go into VR world to, you know, uh, discover information and search volume drops off dramatically in traditional search. But I don't see that happening quite yet. Intriguing that you use the time frame four years because um, right, well, four years ago as well, um, you say it hasn't changed a lot in four years. Was there a particular event four years ago that um, you're thinking of in particular that's um, led to a significant change in SEO? Well, so certainly, you know, if I think about uh, Panda and Penguin, which were both, you know, in that in that time frame, that sort of 2011, 12, 13 time frame, those were both relatively big shakeups for SEO professionals in, in that they changed a lot of things tactically for us. Um, you know, but to be honest, no, you know, if you if you were doing SEO kind of the right way, long term way in 2012, that would be really quite similar to how you do things in 2016. Um, and in fact, you know, the craziest part wouldn't be all that dissimilar to how you did it in 2008. So, um, you know, we've, we've sort of had this, Google's had this goal for a long time of delivering the highest quality, best experience, most relevant, uh, information to searchers as quickly as they possibly can, uh, in a, you know, a way that provides a great user experience. And if you were doing that in 08, certainly, like I said, some of those tactics have evolved, but if you were following that strategy rather than sort of a, Hey, here's this one exploit in Google that works today that might not work in the future. Um, if you were, if you were following that long-term methodology, you, you've probably had a great run, uh, cause search has not, 
the fundamentals behind SEO uh, haven't shifted all that much. It seems to me that SEO is splitting a little bit into different specialisms. You've got things like UX, website performance, content marketing, maybe to, to, to name a few. Do you think it's reasonable for an SEO to be able to do everything and looking forward a few years actually to, you know, should they not actually look to become a specialist in one of those areas rather than a generic SEO? Yeah, I think anytime you have an industry uh, like ours where it's it's growing and maturing, you know, it's going from a few tens of thousands of practitioners to hundreds of thousands and now many millions of practitioners, it's becoming a standard for every business and every organization. You know, it's just something you have to deal with and take care of. Uh, when that happens, you start to see more and more specialization and the importance of specialization growing. So, you know, today, if you are a technical SEO who deals uh, with crawl issues, and that is a specialization of yours, you can probably make a great living either as a consultant or an in-house SEO for the right brand or company uh, working on that. Likewise, if you're an SEO who specializes in keyword research and targeting, you've probably got a great pathway there. If you're an SEO who specializes in content marketing and creating content that tends to perform well in search engines and you know the written word and other types of you know visual or interactive or audio content are your specialties, you can probably do great there. If you're a video SEO who does stuff for YouTube, awesome. You've probably got a great living there. So yes, I, I see a lot of segmentation. I think that, you know, that classic diagram that I drew a few years ago of the, of the T-shaped marketer, right? This idea that uh, you have a bunch of essentially knowledge of many, many disciplines in web marketing, right? So I have SEO knowledge, but I also have PPC knowledge, I have email marketing knowledge, and I have content knowledge, and I've got knowledge of paid campaigns on Facebook, and I understand social media, and da 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 right? But then I'm a, I'm a specialist. I go very, very deep into one of those. I think that's it's almost uh, happening again in microcosm for each of those. So if you're in yeah. the email marketing world, building up an email subscription list for a new startup versus uh, email outreach versus... Um, you know, optimizing an existing email list or working on email migrations uh, or setting up recurring emails for SaaS uh, and subscription-based businesses, you know, you, you can find the specializations within the specialization and the T shapes inside each of those eyes of the T. <laughs> One thing that I certainly didn't um, hear you mention there as a specialism was links. Um, <laughs> if we if we can possibly look forward a few years, do you think that links are still going to be an integral part of Google's algorithm in the future? Uh, let's see. I think they will still be in the top five most important things that you have to think about for SEO. But I think it's possible they won't be one or two, uh, which mm -hmm. they still are today. And um, and I think that will be a a. a, a it will promote a very tactical shift for a lot of marketers, right? They'll be thinking much more about um, content and user experience and social signals and user engagement and, and usage signals uh, and possibly new signals that, that haven't emerged yet that we will learn about uh, in the future. And we'll be thinking about those a little more than we think about links. Um, one of the things though, I mean, for, I think for every year that I've been in the SEO field, which is uh 14 years now that I've been doing SEO in some form or another, uh, there have been people predicting the death of links as a ranking factor. I think because they're, you know, they're gameable and, and the engines have complained about them a lot and uh, they, they continue to get harder and harder to earn the right ones. You know, you have to go through a lot of uh, effort to do those. 
and manipulation of the link graph gets harder and harder. And so I think there's this natural prediction that like someday, you know, Google's going to get rid of them as a ranking factor. I'm not sure. I think that they are still useful. I think in fact, uh, over the last four or five years, they've become more useful than they were four or five years ago as many marketers, particularly in places where Google's doing a great job with spam fighting, uh, English language countries, Western Europe, you know, they've, they've really done a great job. And then a lot of other places, they've done a less high quality job, in my opinion, fighting link spam so far. Uh, that could happen in the future, but mm. so far. And so uh, as a result of that, the link graph gets higher quality, right? If we're all scared to manipulate the, the, the link graph, well, guess what? That, that graph becomes a higher point of signal versus noise in the ranking algorithm. Mm. It almost gets better. Um, I think the social web in some ways has helped the link graph to become more high quality, not just links from social sites themselves, but the links that are uh, created because people find things through social media and through apps uh, and then link to them in the content that they create. That sort of gives Google more of those kinds of signals. So, you know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to getting rid of links entirely, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that it drops in importance in the next few years. It's intriguing that um, Google scaring the living daylights out of SEOs with regards to buying links has helped them actually um, build a higher quality network of um, of, of links yeah, between different websites yeah. out there. Yeah. But um, it's not going to be number one. So what's going to be number one? Randbrain? <laughs> oh, God. I, that was just, it's so weird to have, uh, you know, there's this this odd thing where I sort of, um, I feel like I live apart from this this weird character of Rand Fishkin, right? There's like the character and caricature of Rand. Um, and then there's me and, you know, I just walk to work and try and do my job and then, you know, create good content and help Moz be successful and try and lean on our big data team to do their jobs better and lean on, you know, the Explorer team to do their jobs better. And, you know, and then out in the web, it's like, oh, you know, I, I don't understand. There's a, there's a whole, whole weird religion of like, you know, making me into something that I'm not. A, I can't, I cannot emphasize to you enough how unimportant I am in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'm sure your 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 wife helps you. Certainly, my wife certainly helps helps me in that. Scenario. Oh yeah, no, uh, she makes sure I know that you know to keep humble. Uh, so back to your question though, with regards to the things that I think are going to increase importance. I, look, I think it is already very important. I think it will continue to be important, but Google doesn't talk about it much. I think they are concerned that there's still a lot of manipulation uh, potential, and I. I want to be very respectful and empathetic to that. So I understand why they haven't talked about it. But user and usage data signals, in my opinion, are on the rise. They're here today. They're powerful. They're influential. We can test them and observe them with relative consistency, not perfect consistency, but relative consistency. Uh, and we can see that uh, you know things like lots of people searching for an unbranded term in combination with a brand tends to associate that brand with that non-branded term and tends to mean that that brand, that website is going to rank higher. That's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, In terms of um, other things, I think that content evaluation is something Google is doing a better and better job with. uh, And we are seeing them grow the number and types and diversity of signals that they look at from content. Uh, I think they're getting better at 
parsing the meaning, not just from queries, but from content itself, right? And that, and that means uh, they can look at a sentence, a phrase, a fragment of a sentence, a paragraph, um, an entire document and say, this is what this is about. And this is how relevant it is to these particular queries versus relevant to these other queries. You know, the, the days of raw keyword matching uh, are really at an end. I think today we almost do keyword matching as SEOs more for searchers than for the engines themselves. You know, engines are getting smarter and smarter about being able to connect up synonyms and phrase meanings. Uh, but searchers, you know, when you search for, um, you know, best restaurants in Rome, I still want to visit a page that has as its headline, best restaurants in Rome or Rome's best restaurants, right? I, I'm not looking mm. for that sort of um, broad synonym fragment. So I think that I think that content evaluation is another one. Uh, I do think I do think Google is going to get more into um, some measurement of uh, social signals, and that could be exclusively through user and usage data and visitor data. But I think that they may have uh, designs on getting more serious uh, into so more seriously into social, right? Being able to say these are influential uh, accounts, and these are this is what these accounts are sharing and saying, and we want to try and understand the meaning behind them and whether they're endorsing things, and maybe we want to give those some of those endorsements link-like powers. Do you think that um, we would still see Google Plus in 2020 as some kind of social network? Is there any chance that Google might have purchased something like a Twitter uh, yeah, within that time I, frame? I mean, if, if I were them, I would be thinking about buying or I would be thinking about doing API deals like what they've done with Twitter right now, right? Where they're getting access to the full firehose and they can put that in the results and they can use it however they want. Um, you know, that, that is really how I'd be playing it if I were them. Um, I think Google Plus, I don't know, may, maybe they have one more big push in them to try and build a Google-centric social network, but uh, feels like feels like maybe, maybe they haven't hit that uh, yet, and may, maybe they should give up and try some other strategies. I, I don't know. Okay, okay. I, I know it's, um, it's, it's tough to imagine what might happen, but it's also intriguing that there are so many social hubs that people go to now. Obviously, Facebook, you've got Snapchat, um, Twitter to a certain degree. And you can't really say that about Google at the moment. And you have to think, well, that's part of the movement with the modern web. And um, Google has to involve itself, you know, quite significantly with that to be successful in the future, you would think. I definitely, I mean, I would imagine that if you were sitting in the Google boardroom, um, you know, talking about long-term strategy and long-term risk to their primary, uh, uh, you know, value chain and how they're generating 70, 80% plus of their revenue, um, the addiction to social and the potential that social becomes the way that people find and discover information has got to be at least discussed as a major threat point. And I can't imagine that they're not thinking about how do we mitigate that threat? One of those mitigations obviously is the relationship with Twitter. I think that's pretty smart. Um, another mitigation is they appear to be doing a better and better job of uh, crawling Facebook and potentially using, I don't know, at least link discovery from Facebook, but maybe some content and sentiment analysis, maybe some traffic analysis, um, 
those kinds of things. I, you know, I don't think they're looking at likes and shares. Well, let, mm. let me rephrase. I don't think getting a bunch of likes and a bunch of shares is going to boost your rankings. But I will say this, and we've observed this, which has been really interesting. I, I don't have enough data to prove it yet, but I'm going to speculate here. I think if you put a piece of content up on Facebook that nobody links to, but many, many people like and share and comment and many people visit and engage with through, you know, their browsers of whatever type, I think Google finds ways to rank those. And I, I don't know whether that's directly through uh, them crawling Facebook and indexing that content and those links and all that kind of stuff. I don't know whether it's them looking at some of the social share sig signals and then looking at who was sharing and whether they were real people and influencers. Uh, I don't know whether it's them doing traffic and visitor analysis, but it is happening. Like it, it's, it would be hard for me to prove. I don't, like I said, I don't have the data to prove it, but that is, that is my strong feeling. It, you want a really interesting one? Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. This is very, very early. And, um, but so someone mentioned, I was at a search love conference. I think it was in, uh, sit in London last year, and someone mentioned, hey, you know, we noticed this odd phenomena where we had written an article uh, about web marketing of some kind. It wasn't ranking particularly well, like it didn't, didn't blow anyone away, but it was picked up by the Moz Top 10 email lists. And if you're not familiar with the Moz Top 10, it's subscribed to by a little over 300,000 uh, marketers. It gets very high engagement. The top few links on there often get, you know, 10, 20, even 30,000 visits. Uh, sometimes when, when the newsletter comes out and they said, when the Moz newsletter came out, when the Moz top 10 came out, our rankings shot up yesterday, I got an email from someone that the same thing had happened to them. Uh, and that's actually the third email that I've gotten from someone who's been in the Moz top 10. And so a few months ago, we started tracking uh, some keyword searches around things that we were putting in the Moz top 10 to see if the rankings went up after the newsletter came out. And there were a few testing problems, but early signals were, damn, that's weird. Like it, it sure looks like when something goes in the Moz top 10 email, its rankings go up, especially the ones that get more clicks. And might your hypothesis be that the fact that that site had suddenly got a surge in traffic resulted in the increase in rankings? And if so, is it possible potentially with pay-per-click advertising to buy traffic and have that result in it. I mean, you know, it, so if I were Google, here's how I would be doing it. I would be accumulating all of the clickstream data that I can get, right? And they have full clickstream data from Chrome, from Android, uh, from all the desktop devices where they have plugins installed, from Google search itself, right? They, they have just tons and tons of, of data. They, they have Google fiber data, right? All the um, infrastructure, web infrastructure that they're part of where they can see all these, all these clicks and stuff. So they, you know, they're collecting a tremendous amount of data of just where are people going on the web and what are they doing while they're on the web? If I were them, I would take all those signals and then I would cut out anything that is paid, right? So I can see anytime traffic comes from a paid source. Anything that's organic, uh, type in, uh, bookmark, direct, um, referred from an email, you know, an organic email list, uh, you know, coming through social media like Facebook or, or through uh, the Moz Top 10, right? Uh, coming through, whatever it is, 
whatever it is. Lots of people clicking on a link on the homepage of Yahoo. Uh, lots of people clicking on a link in Hacker News. If I saw a lot of those signals, they were coming from an organic source, I might be very tempted to give a rankings boost because probably you're seeing a highly relevant, new, useful piece of content that searchers would want to see. That, that is total speculation on my part. I can, Google has never confirmed that they do this, but they definitely are collecting that data. I think that would certainly make sense, but potentially only if it's relevant traffic that spends a decent length of time on the website. Obviously, if you just drive loads of traffic out of website, stays for five seconds, surely that's not an authoritative signal. Totally agree. Totally agree, right? If you, if you want to see uh, traffic, you want to see diversity of people visiting, right? So lots of people from lots of different places with lots of different Google accounts that have real history that are clearly not just bots or uh, you know people who were paid to visit a site through Mechanical Turk or something like that. You want to see um, you know diversity of IP addresses and cookies. You want to see people who haven't ever visited that site before visiting that site along with people who've been loyal to it, right? All the things that would make it look like, hey, this is a natural boost in organic traffic. And then you want to see behavior. Positive behavior is things like, huh, you know, a good amount of people after visiting this piece went on to drive traffic to it in some other way. They shared it on their social media accounts. They emailed somebody about it. They, uh, you know, they, they chatted it to somebody. They saved it in some, you know, uh, app of theirs, right? They copy and pasted the URL. These are all indications to Google that like, huh, you know, I think, I think maybe people really like this. And that is a good sign that it should rank. I mean, it would be crazy to me if there haven't been a bunch of Google engineers sitting around like, so see all this data we get from Chrome and Android, what do you guys think mm. about using some of it? Makes perfect sense. Just finally in relation to this, actually, we've seen a big change in the SERP recently with the disappearance of ads from the right-hand side and many commercial queries now having four ads on top. How do you think the SERP may evolve over the next couple of years? Are we going to see some significant differences there? Yeah, well, Google said, you know, look to the mobile device. They're going uh, mobile first, desktop second, right? So I think the, the, a lot of the evolution that we're going to see is going to be mobile centric, um, which I'll be totally honest, I, I think it kind of gives short shrift to, uh, to desktop users. Like the, the, making the mobile experience and the desktop experience the same means that you make the desktop experience worse. That's just my opinion. I'm one guy, whatever, but... Um, I, I don't totally love it personally. That being said, Google's going in that direction. That's what they care about. So I think that we can take our cues uh, directly from mobile. One thing that you see in mobile right now that we have not seen as much in desktop search is, um, let's see, if you have a mobile device, let me see if I can do this for you. Uh, I searched yesterday, yeah, for like a men's haircuts and like a Pinterest um well, actually, you, you can sort of do it with, with Google. Let me see if I can. Let's turn this so that it's not, I'm not so backlit uh, and see if you can. <laughs> so, so for audio, audio replay viewers um, yeah, or can listeners. You, um, can you see this? So do you see that scrolling left to right yeah, so behavior? We, so, so we see left, yeah, left to right image scroll here in the top of right. um, a SERP result. Yeah, yeah. So that... That I think is something that has not yet made its way very, very far into 
uh, Google's desktop search. And I think that might be something we see more of. You know, we've had that carousel up at the top mm. for some different types of knowledge, but I suspect we're going to see more of that interactive behavior inside a search result to get at, you know, the core of a query and the core of what a searcher is looking for. Um, I, I certainly think that there's going to be more of those interactive elements. I'm sure they will be thinking about bigger screens in the future as well, because there are, yes, many tablets, many mobile devices, but um, perhaps people might not use desktop so much in the future, but they've got a great big screen in their living room. So surely they're going to be browsing the web on that. Yeah, yeah. I, we, it's weird that we haven't seen as much of that. We've seen that with YouTube. Um, and I think that Google is smart to go into the uh, you know content play world, right, where they're essentially saying, hey, why don't... Uh, why don't we make some content the way um, uh, Netflix and Amazon and those folks are smart? Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I certainly expect, you know, Google is launching tons of SERP changes all the time to try and get that uh, engagement up to try and answer people's questions faster and better. Uh, I have no doubt that there will be many, many changes. I think that's that's one of the reasons that it's so important that projects like Mozcast exist. You know, this is Dr. Pete's mm. kind of uh, monitoring of search results. And if you go to moztask.com, you can see here's all these SERP features and here's their rise in uh, uh, degradation over time. And uh, here's the, the prolificness of a particular domain into search results. So keeping track of those features, I think, is really important. That's something that we're thinking hard about with uh, regards to software, too. I think a lot of software vendors are thinking about that, like, hey, we need to tell search marketers and marketers of all stripes who care about their search traffic, what does it look like? So talking about software, let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on Rand's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Rand, maybe apart from Moz, <laughs> what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Yeah, let's see. I have been... So survey software is something that's huge for us. Um, and I've been doing a few different things. So SurveyMonkey has a bunch of nice features, but the UI UX is middling, let's say. Uh, and so I have been using Typeform for a lot of those. I'd be sad to lose that. I also have been experimenting and really liking Twitter polls. They're not, um, you know, not nearly as comprehensive, but you can get high, high engagement by being embedded in the platform there. Um, a few other things I really like, uh, one of my favorite tools that's totally free is Pocket. Uh, I do a ton of, you know, there's a ton of things where it pops up in my feed or somebody sends me an article and I say, man, I really should read that whole thing. I don't have time right now. I save it to Pocket. And then, you know, later when I'm just browsing on my phone or, uh, you know, sitting on an airplane with no Wi-Fi, I open up Pocket and I, you know, read 20, 30 articles in a row on a three-hour flight. Works great, right? And I feel like I've... Uh, been able to consume all of that stuff. And you can even share from Pocket and recommend things. And then when you when, when the plane lands and you get your connection back, it'll share automatically for you. So I like that a lot. Another tool on the content front that I love is called Nuzzle. I don't know if lots of folks have heard of that, but basically... I'm not sure if I have, no. Yeah, you connect it to your social feeds and it will show you things that many of the people that you follow or are connected to on Facebook or on Twitter uh, have shared. So kind of every day, every morning, I get this digest of here's what all the people that you follow have shared in the last few days. And, you know, if there's something that five people I follow have shared, hey, at least I should look at the headline and know what that is. 
uh, even if I've missed it in my real-time feed. So I like that a lot. Um, that's been super useful. We tried a, um, this is an internal tool, you know, if you're in the, in the world of HR and management, uh, might be useful to you. It's called Culture Amp. Uh, Culture Amp. And I thought they did a, a very solid job um, of helping us out. It's a little pricey, but, but quite good. Uh, another one I love, this is for competitive data. A lot of web marketers probably love this one. It's uh, Similar Web Pro. It's expensive, no doubt about it. Similar Web Pro is pricey, but worth it. Their, uh, their panel, my experience has been that they are much more accurate than any of the other uh, traffic prediction and estimation services. So if you're looking to find out like, hey, how much traffic does this website get versus this website? Similar web's probably really good for that. They're also really good at telling you where that traffic came from. Um, so if you, you know, if you're curious, like, hey, where is my competitor getting all their traffic from? Because they I don't see them ranking in search, but they seem to be having success. Well, maybe they've got great email campaigns, maybe they're having a very successful paid campaign, they might be getting traffic from social, maybe it's direct and bookmark, and you can see that distribution and breakdown. You can even see all the sites that refer them traffic. Uh, through similar web, which you know, for you link builders out there, awesome. Some wonderful recommendations there. So thanks for that. But here is a slightly more challenging question, and that is, what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, <laughs> part of me almost wants to say Slack, but I have actually used Slack uh, quite a bit. <laughs> so all of Moz's teams are on Slack. I'm one of the few curmudgeons who's like, what advantage does this offer over email? It's like reply all, all the time. Anyway, but um, regardless, I have switched to using it because I, I sort of have to. Uh, let's see, another tool that I haven't played with that I know I really should. Um, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I have not played with Buzzstream as much as I should have. It's a you know, awesome tool for influencer discovery and outreach um, and prioritization and for link building. I know lots of folks are fans of it. Uh, lots of Moz users are fans of it, but I haven't checked it out, um, at least not in a few years. So Buzzstream. Wonderful. Okay, well, I really appreciate all those recommendations and I'll track them all down and include um, notes to, <laughs> links to them in the show notes there. I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. A long time look back, I know, but hopefully you can do this. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Man, you know, I bet the first business that I tried to market, it was either, it was either a local bank here in Seattle or it was a dentist's office. Um, and this is back when I was building websites. Uh, and I'll tell you what I did wrong. It was everything, um, literally everything. So there was, I, I did no SEO because I didn't know what SEO was. Uh, I made the site totally inaccessible because I, my early web design career was in Flash. So I was right. making sites in Flash that had like those animated intros, which meant that mm -hmm. you had to wait through the intro before you could get to the site and find out the phone number for the dentist's office. Just, just dumb, just, just dumb, like really <laughs> dumb. Uh, didn't have the uh, content right. Like didn't talk to actual users to say, hey, what are you looking for? What would be helpful to you when you visit this person's website? Um, never validated uh, the design or the UI or UX with beta testers. Never watched anyone use it in a usability test. Um, 
drove no traffic to it. Yeah, yeah. You. Uh, I think that's the the biggest list of I wish I would have there. So yeah. I think you win. win Can't get worse. <laughs> Couldn't get any worse. Had nowhere to go but up. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Okay. Ten quick questions and just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? Got it. Email or Twitter? Twitter. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Email. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email. And local marketing or global marketing? Ah, both. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to get through the whole thing without a both, but uh, it depends on the business, that one. Right, depends, totally depends. That $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Uh, Let's see, I would... So there are three platforms, uh, advertising platforms that I haven't played with yet. And we're about to launch a new product. Well, a little less than a month away from launching a new product, the the Keyword Explorer project that I've been working on for like a year now. Uh, And I would love to put, you know, maybe three grand uh, towards each of these channels and see how they perform. Those three, I know know we're a B2B business and this might be odd, but they're visual platforms. uh, And that's why we have interest in them. So one would be Snapchat. One would be Instagram, one would be Pinterest. And I haven't played with any of those platforms for B2B advertising, but I suspect that like Facebook, uh, like Twitter, there's actually some opportunity in those. So I would love to uh, give those all a spin. That's intriguing. And also, I suppose, if you get in fairly early, then relative cost per click is going to be quite small compared with what it's likely to be in two or three years' time. Yeah, for sure. Plus, I I suspect that... uh, a lot of people who are already in our community are on those sites and would be sort of surprised and delighted to see us advertising there. Um, and so they might be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Moz is on Instagram. Like, that's cool. Give it a little heart, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I want to test it out. You know, I'd have to come up with a compelling visual campaign, but it'd be nice to have an extra 10 grand to throw at that for sure. My number one takeaway. Well, Randy, you've offered so much great advice in a conversation, so many great thoughts. But what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement within their businesses? I think that, you know, if I had been listening to this as a, as a web market error, um, if I hadn't already been thinking about the idea that uh, organic traffic could drive my rankings, I would be thinking about that very strongly, right? I'd be thinking about what is a way that I could generate organic traffic to pages that I'm, you know, on the cusp of ranking. I'm on page two, I'm on page three. Uh, I just haven't gotten the signals I, I quite need to rank there. Maybe what I need is some organic traffic efforts. How could I get included in an email list? How could I get more social traffic? How could I get more engagement on the page? Uh, more people sharing it, more copy and paste behavior, more people emailing it to each other. I think that that might be the missing link for some folks who aren't ranking for stuff they want to rank for. 
Intriguing thoughts. Well, um, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Sure, yeah. You can uh, check out my blog, moz.com slash rand. Uh, or you can visit me on Twitter. I'm very active there. Twitter slash randfish. Great stuff. Okay, well, so thanks to Rand and thank you to your listener too. If you enjoyed what Rand shared today, here's how you can help. Go and get your friend's iPhone Go to the podcast app and search for Digital Marketing Radio. Click on the show and hit the subscribe button and make them listen too. Finally, I'm also hosting another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. So head over to thisweekinorganic.com to find out more about that. But that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios. And uh, thank you again, Rand. It was great to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, David.